at NovaCon. This is Red. We got uh, Taff with us, and we are fortunate to have with us none other than the legendary William Cat. William, how's it going today? Ta da da da! Going well. Thank you so much. Great, great, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. You're welcome. You're welcome. I am a childhood fan of yours. I mean, I, as a kid, I used to watch The Greatest American Hero every week when it came out. Couldn't wait for a new episode. Yeah. I love the show. Well, Still back, love it. Yeah, back in the day, you know, you couldn't. Uh, we didn't have uh, DVDs. We, nope. You couldn't change the time it was on. You were either you were either home on Wednesday nights or yep. you weren't. You yep. Know? And VCRs were just coming out. We're right. still trying to figure out how to record. And yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy. It is. It is. So uh, let's start off talking about the Greatest American Hero. We'll, sure. We'll progress from there. Sure. So how did you land the role? Um, I was in New York off Broadway the last season at the Phoenix Rep. And I was uh, doing a play with Diana Wiest, um, who everyone would know if they've seen, uh, she's been in a thousand things. And uh, Steve Cannell sent me a script that was laugh out loud funny. Um, and he got on a plane and came back to see us one e- on an evening performance on a Sunday evening. Took me to dinner and convinced me to do the show. And so uh, I went ahead and I did it. My agent said, "Oh, it's not going to run very long. It'll you'll you'll do the pilot and it'll you'll go back to New York and continue on in your theater career." Yeah. He lied to me. He did, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here you are. How many years later, still people think of you with that program? I I, I know. I know it'll be uh, uh, it'll be on my tombstone for sure. Because <laughs> they'll say, "Believe it or not." Yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll see this goofy guy flying, and yeah, exactly, <laughs> it'll be my legacy. So now with the show, when the, they canceled it, was there any been any talk since then about bringing it back? Well, yeah, two years later they wanted to bring it back because it did so well in syndication. Yes, that they asked uh, if I would come back. NBC wanted to pick it up. Mm-hmm. But I was already uh, uh, doing another show, so it was kind of, uh, that that's kind of what uh, precipitated doing the, the Greatest American Heroine. They tried to do it with a girl, and uh, I, I guess it, it didn't work. But, uh, I think at that time, pretty much Wonder Woman was about the only female uh, show yeah. going on. And, I think so. Yeah. So, now at the time, you were doing Perry Mason at that time. When, I was, yes. Uh-huh. So that... Oh, Perry Mason, man. And I love doing it. I mean, yeah. Raymond, I, I had been friends with Raymond Burr, you know, since I was a child because oh, really? she was best friends with my mom. I did uh, not know that. Well, Barbara Hale is my mom. She played Della Street okay. yeah, on, those, okay. that, yeah, on that, that show. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so oh, Perry Mason was wonderful. I grew up as a kid running around on that Perry Mason stage, you know. Now, now, we're both also fans of House. Yes, I love House. House was a good House and Carrie. I'm a big horror fan, so House and Carrie are my two, my two kid passions. Oh, good, good. Yeah, Carrie was a great film. Uh, You know, we didn't know it at the time that we were making a uh, a seminal film for Brian De Palma, but. that's what it turned out to be. And then years later in the 80s, I got to do House, which, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, would turn out to be a cult favorite. Yes, yes. yes. House is phenomenal. And that was really due to Steve Miner, who, the director. I mean, that was, that was his sense of humor. He infused it with his quirkiness, and he was just uh, brilliant. Yeah. And he carried me along for the ride and let me do my thing. And I think it all just... Um, uh, it, it, it turned out to be something that was really special. Nice. Okay. I was gonna say, so with House, there's a lot of uh, 
practical effects and stuff in it, which I'm a big fan of practical effects. I actually wish a lot of movies would go back to practical effects. Uh, I don't like a lot of the digital stuff. Um, do you know, do you recall who did the effects on that? I don't. I don't. Um, but uh, you're right, it was uh, pre-CG. Yes. Um, and, and it was all real effects and like the monster that comes out of the closet. That was operated by like four, five, six guys. And it was just magnificent. When you were actually there on the set and working with it, it was, it was quite frightening uh, to be working with it. Because it was enormous, you know? And uh, what, what the audiences uh, did not get to see was the very, uh, very detailed sculpting all over the, the monster. It was fantastic. It was all the souls and the departed souls of all the Vietnamese and American soldiers kind of trapped inside of this beast. It was fantastic. So now with all these different uh, movies and shows and stuff, do you still have any of the props or anything from anything? Uh, no, I wish I did. Like hand or anything? No, no, I wish I did. Yeah. But you know, at the time we did these things, there wasn't a lot of the, the cons going on at the time. So there wasn't a, a fandom the way there is now. You know? So the stuff would get used and afterwards hit the dumpster and that was it. And I remember thinking that there should be a museum for all of that stuff. Because it was beautiful. You know, what happens with all those sculptings is they decompose over the course of time and, and you just lose it. Yeah. So let's talk about current. What are you, is there anything you're currently working on? Um, recently I did uh, uh, a sequel. A few years ago I did a, a, a Jerome Bixby script called Man From Earth, which became a, a very, very successful cult film. And uh, we just did uh, the sequel called Man From Earth 2, uh, Holocene. And um, for anyone that doesn't know what it was about, the premise is that there's a man, this guy who lives for 10,000 years. And he doesn't even know why he's alive. He's just this anomaly. He's not a zombie. He's not a vampire. He's just, uh, his, genetically, he's just keeps surviving. And uh, what happens is that we get in a room of professors, professor of theology and history and uh, uh, archaeology, and we cannot poke a hole in his story. It's a very, very smart script. And we did a sequel to it. And uh, it's very good. I saw it. I was really surprised, wonderfully surprised, I should say. And is the sequel out now? That'll be coming out in the next two months. It's going to get a limited theatrical release, and then it'll be released on DVD and Blu-ray. And then the original is already out on it DVD is. Blu-ray. It is. Man from Earth, yes. It's a very small budgeted film, but if you, I like to tell people if you watch 10 minutes, you watch the whole thing because it's very smart. Now, you said you started in theater. Have you ever thought about going back to it? Uh, I've done an awful lot of theater in my life. You know, from uh, the Michelle Tremblay plays, I've worked with Randy Newman in the theater. I've worked with uh, Jack Hofstis, a Tony Award-winning director for Elephant Man. I did uh, two plays with him. Uh, Marsha Norman, who won a Pulitzer Prize for Night Mother, I did a play for her. Um, I did the world premiere of Days of Wine and Roses with Maya Dillon. Uh, I've worked at the Mark Taper Forum, CTG, uh, South Coast Repertory is where I started and I did four seasons there. But recently, I I promised my wife I wouldn't do any more theater because it takes so much time and I'm away from home for so long. I can imagine. So I, I'm not 
I don't have any plans to do any theater in the near future, but you never know. I, I like to say never say never. Now, is there anything that you love in your hands on something, a character, a role, or you just love to play? Um, let's see. No, not, not in particular. I don't have anything that I would really love to do. There's a couple people I'd love to get my hands on. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but uh, no, no particular roles in it that come to mind, no. What, have you seen the remake of Carrie? Do you think they did? Your I did. Justice? I did. Huh? Do you think they did it justice? I think it was uh, a, a different telling of the story. I thought it was very good. I'm fans with the actresses that that played the pivotal roles, and you know, excellent actresses. The director was a great director. They just took it a, a, a different bent to it. And uh, but I I thought it was okay. You know, it's hard to be the original film because it was such a seminal film for Brian De Palma. I mean, it's what made him the star that he became. I mean, Brian, Brian De Palma's an icon. So now you do a lot of these cons. I do about five a year, four or five That's a year. That's a good number. Yeah. Many great stories of things that have gone on throughout the years of the cons, something that really touched you, moved you, that's memorable for you. They're all memorable because the fans are so wonderful. You know, I, that's, I, I come out because I love to meet the fans. And uh, they show me their appreciation for the work that I've done and, and the Greatest American Hero or Carrie or House or any number of things. And I'm able to reciprocate and show my appreciation for their for their fans, for their uh, enjoying the shows that I've done. That's one thing I've noticed since we've been here at NovaCon, is that you take that time, you actually, and I, I've, I've been to a lot of these things where the actors or actresses, like, okay, yeah, thank you for your money, here's your signature, have a great day. Uh -huh. I've noticed you actually do spend the time and talk to them and get to know them a little bit. And I try you, to. You show that extra step of, be, of that you care. And, and we appreciate that as fans. Well, thank you. I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. It's been a lot of fun. God bless. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. So this week, we brought on someone who has like a massive massive mark on the comic industry he's done like anything you possibly think of probably in marvel with writing and he's been the editor on so many things i can't even count i want to introduce tom defalco how are you doing tom so far so good don't ruin it no. <laughs> we have no intention <laughs> we have so many bad things to say about you tom just oh wait gosh. and you'll find out as well you should <laughs> When, so, when, when, uh, are you, when are you gonna start writing something? I mean, what have you what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> no. So uh, speaking of things that you've done, Tom, um, for the average Joe who's never heard of you before, uh, why don't you just tell you know the listeners at home what's the thing that uh, Tom has done with his life? Well, the majority of his uh, adult life and stuff. Uh, what has he done in comics? In comic books. Uh, uh, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Thor, uh, Spider-Girl, Machine Man, Archie, Reggie and Me, 
uh, Superman Family, uh, uh, Legion Lost, the Hawkman, um, Transformers. What? Trans oh. Transformers. <laughs> Well, I only worked on the Bible of that thing. I didn't actually do any Transformer comic books. I, I worked on the Bible. Um, I did did work on G.I. Joe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and probably a dozen other toy <laughs> toy things. Uh, Starias. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, guys. It's, as as the years progress, the memory gets worse. <laughs> well, and, and it was and it was crummy to begin with. <laughs> no. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, I sit there and I look at your list, like on comic book database or anything else. And I wouldn't be able to keep up. I mean, I if I was you, I probably bet there's times where you're like, wait a minute, I wrote that. It's like, wait, I don't remember that. I oh. mean, your list is ginormous. Just like, wow. It might be quicker to say, what have you not worked on? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, since you've done so much in the comics, like going back to the beginning of things, um, were you into comic books as a kid? Of course I was into comic books as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you'd be surprised. Some writers say, well, kind of not. <laughs> you know, I discovered, well, I discovered comic strips very early. And... Um, I was cutting them out of the newspapers and assembling my own, you know, books, you know, mm -hmm. comic books at, at, at the time and um, was just very fascinated by the medium. And uh, somewhere along the line, one of my my cousins, uh, an older cousin, gave me a, um, a Batman comic book. Mm -hmm. um, it was my cousin, Johnny, gave me a Batman comic book, scared the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> but. You know, once I discovered that they, you know, people were actually making these books that I didn't have to, you know, you know, tape tape up my own books. I started looking for them. Eventually, discovered them in the local newsstand, and was hooked. Uh, um, you know, ever since I, I started to outgrow them about, you know, at the uh, the uh, advanced age of ten or eleven, and um, by dumb luck, I happened to see. Uh, Two issues of the Fantastic Four, uh, three and four, and um, if you know what those, you know, two issues were, um, you'll understand why. To a ten or eleven year old man, I read those comic books, and I was I was rehooked, re-energized, and uh, you know, and I'm and I'm still a, a fan of comic books. So, Tom, I have to ask you, kind of circling back, you mentioned that you're cutting uh, strips out of uh, the newspaper to put make your own books. What kind of uh, strips were you cutting out? Oh, uh, you know, Phantom, Mandrake, and mm -hmm. Pogo Possum. Okay. Because um, uh, I asked that because, you know, I was actually having a chat today because I was talking to somebody about Blondie. And they're like, what is, who's Blondie? And I go, oh, my gosh, really? It's a great strip. And I was talking to because I wanted to find the old 1950s uh, TV shows to watch. And they're not available anywhere to, to, to see them. And so I'm talking to this group about Blondie. And you start talking about strips. I was like, okay, what, 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 were, you re what were you reading? <laughs> I, you know, I was reading all the strips. Um, uh, my father bought the, the Daily News, which had mm -hmm. Dick Tracy, you know, uh, Leonard uh, Starr's on stage, which had... Oh, such gorgeous artwork, mm -hmm. um, you know, Little Orphan Annie, Dick Tracy, you know, 
all, yeah. all of those things. And then at a certain point, I discovered that there was another newspaper that had different Sunday strips, Prince Valiant and Steve Canyon. But I couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't convince the, the old man to buy that new Sunday newspaper. <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, would have to save up my own money and, you know, go, <laughs> go out and buy the newspaper just because I wanted the, the Sunday comics. But, I, you know, I, I was hooked on everything. I, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm a big flake, uh, so I have a low attention span. So I, I was fascinated by all sorts of the adventure strips, the humor strips, you know, pretty much everything. Um, I guess to a certain extent that that explains my career, all the different kinds of, you know, nonsense I've done over the years. I'm just a fan in general of everything, right? Yeah, you know. I, Renaissance man. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, you know, I love the the the, the Blondie stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a a book, probably still have it stuffed stuffed somewhere, someplace uh, that had a lot of the very very early Chick Young Blondie mm. strips in it. Mm. That you know, really fantastic stuff. Oh God, yeah. And it's kind of sad because you can't find some of that old stuff. Because you're talking like Steve Cannon. I mean, those are some great adventure strips that you can find bits and pieces, but I I have not found anywhere a nice complete set of all that stuff. Well, I, I think someplace I, I think two two completing competing places are reprinting the Steve Canyon material now. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there was a you know there was a time when I think Warren no not Warren Kitchen Sink. Mm -hmm. Reprinted almost all of the 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 uh, print the uh, Steve Canyon stuff. Very cool. Um, and and you know uh, these days you can get all of the uh, the early Terry and the Pirate stuff by by Kniff. Mm. Just just fabulous stuff. I mean, it boy, is. you know, you know, talk about you know camera angles and and you know action and adventure and you know the romance and you know heart. And, Ah, uh, you know, I, 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 I've always been frustrated because I look at the greats and think, oh, man, these guys were so great. Yeah. You know, and the, and the rest of us are bums. <laughs> <laughs> so before. OK, so, you know, you were into comics as a young kid and everything. You're crazy about them, it seems like. Um, yeah. What is it that actually got you to start like writing? What was something? What was that thing that made that click for you? And be like, okay, I want to sit here and I want to come up with some ideas. I, I, I don't know because it happened so early. Um, I was already writing stories by the time I got I hit high school, and I, you know, worked for the school literary magazine, the school newspaper, you know, writing different stories. You know, by the time I, you know, went to college, I, you know, I ended up selling my first couple of, sh you know, short stories and things like that. And, and I, you know, I, you know, here's the biggest message I have for anybody who wants to be a writer. Be a writer first. Um, and then, you know, if you want, you know, you can focus on writing comics, you can focus on writing fiction, you can focus on writing nonfiction, but be a writer first. Be open to any kind of writing, and and you know I tried it all: publicity writing, newspaper writing. Uh, you know, I was doing press releases. I, you know, I, I think one sent me to a flower show. <laughs> you know, boy, was that. <laughs> you know, that was a really ridiculous thing. I ended up writing this three-page article, 
and the editor looked. He said, oh, that's terrific. I said, you're going to use it? He said, oh, yeah. Well, we'll use part of it. They, they, my three-page article, they cut down to like <laughs> yeah, a half a paragraph. Oh, oh man. no. <laughs> but at least that was in the newspaper. <laughs> exactly. It was a paying gig. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it was a paying gig, you know? You, you take what you can get. Yeah. So talking about writing and things, um, one of our fans has a question, Patrick. He's asking, do you think that there is success for young creators at the at the big two, you know, Marvel and DC? Or do you think that nowadays in the modern time, people need to maybe try to find success elsewhere and then move over to Marvel and DC? Well, um, you know, it is hard for me to judge because I'm really not paying all that much attention to the comic book industry these days. Mm-hmm. But from the, the little attention that I do pay, it seems that in order to attract Marvel and DC, you have to have, you know, created some success elsewhere. Um, a number of the people I know who have, you know, who have, uh, the new kids at Marvel and DC, um, have either been successful novelists, uh, or television writers or, or what, you know, what have you, um, first, and then they come over to Marvel and DC. I think, I'm, I'm sure you're uh, aware that R.L. Stein just did his first Marvel job. Yes. Um, yep. Yes. This is after uh, writing, uh, I don't know, a hundred Goosebumps novels. And I don't know how many man television thing. shows and, and everything else. Um, but, you know, hey, he wanted to do, do, do some stuff for Marvel. Um, uh I, I think that, again, going back to be a writer first and, you know, and establish yourself somewhere, you know, somewhere else, because uh, right now the industry is, it's a much smaller industry than when, when I was there. And the publishers aren't, you know, the, the major two, the big two aren't producing as many comic books as they, as they used to. Um, so it's, it's become very, very, you know, competitive. Um, you know, and I know a, a, a number of guys in the independent field, you know, have, have, have struck it very big. So I hope I've answered your question. Oh, yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. Um, if you don't mind, I have another one here. So um, Enrique wants to know, as we all know, you did an epic run on Spider-Man, um, taking over from Roger Stern. Uh, you've created some really memorable characters, one of which being Mayday Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Girl. Um, so Enrique wants to know what actually led to the creation of Spider-Girl, and then what were some of your favorite and or worst moments about writing Spider-Girl? Um, <laughs> all right. While I was writing you know, Spider-Man... Uh, there was this thing called the Clone Saga. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, history indicates that the Clone Saga didn't sell. Uh, history is 100% wrong. Um, what, what happened was that, uh, you know, Marvel made some blunders. Uh, they, uh, decided to, uh, buy their own distributor, which was, uh, 
very stupid. And they decided to cut their production from uh, 120 titles down to 60 titles, which, which is even stupider if you own your own distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, the month that they announced that they bought their own distributor, uh, sales on everything fell 60%. Um, mm. Only two, two groups of titles recovered. The X-Men and the Spider titles. And the Spider titles recovered, you know, even better proportionally than the X-Books uh, because of the Clone Saga. Uh, so the Clone Saga, which was only supposed to last, I'm going to say, I forget now how long, about six months, ended up lasting about two years because it was the it was the main thing that Marvel had that was selling. Um, and in the course of this, we decided that Mary Jane was pregnant. Um and I was writing one of the books and uh, was not having the uh, greatest time of my life. So every once in a while, as I, I, you know, my imagination would run and I would think, oh, yeah, would it be cool if, you know, Mary, Mary Jane has, you know, has the baby and eventually we decide it would be a girl. And that little girl grew up and, and uh, you know, took over the family business. You know, and, and it was just idle speculation f- f- for me. A couple of years later, um, uh, I'm, I'm assigned to write uh, uh, What If. So, uh, um, you know, they, they give me the title What If, and they say the, fr- the first issue is due pretty quickly. So come up with an idea. And... Uh, and we need an artist too. So I called my old buddy Ron Friends, and I said, "Hey, I got this goofy idea. What if you know, you know, Spider-Man's uh, daughter grew up and took over the family business?" And Ron said, "Okay, but we should call her Spider Spider Woman." I said, "Nah, they they keep using that that name Spider Woman, and and it never never sells. We're, we're going to call it Spider Girl. It's only going to be a one shot." So we did it as, as what we thought was a one-shot. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the character. We, As Ron and I do, we create a universe around every character we do. And uh, as we were finishing up, Ron said to me, hey, do you think we could ever do a sequel? And I said, it's a, it's a what if. Nobody ever does sequels to what if. And he says, there have been, been a couple over the years. I, well, we'll talk about it in about a year. Um, but to my surprise, that... That issue sold so well that uh, the editor-in-chief, Bob Harris, catches me in the hall and says, hey, that Spider-Girl sold really well. Uh, how'd you like to do a, do a monthly comic book? Hmm. I said, a monthly comic book based on a what if? Are you crazy? He said, no, nah, no, nah, we want to try it. And, and maybe we'll do a couple of other things from spinoffs. So that was the start of the Spider-Girl thing. Um, you know, in the, in the course of the run, there were so many stories that I, you know, that I really enjoyed that just as a writer, it's so rare when a story, you know, falls into place. Um, but Spider-Girl stories just kept falling into place. Um, and you know, it, it became a dream to me, um, 
I, you know, I've, I've reached that stage in my life where the concept of working on a monthly book is so horrible to me. I, I can't <laughs> even mention it anymore. Um, but the, the one exception <laughs> would be to, to work on Spider-Girl again with Ron mm. and, and Sal, because uh, we just had a blast. Uh, you know, Pat Off did the first 50 some odd issues. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Pat was a, a Pat, Pat was a ball to work with. Uh, some of the stories that I that I loved were there was one story where it starts off Spider Girl is, has lost her powers and she's tied to a chair, and Normie Osborne has a knife on the first page. He's going to slit her throat, and uh, and then we have twenty two pages of of Spider Girls <laughs> tied to a chair, <laughs> and yet it you know it's one of those emotional stories that you know we take the characters through the ringer and. Um, I thought it worked very well. A lot of other people seemed to like it. We also did one on... Um, Ron and I were horrified to, to, to discover some articles about how in high school so many girls are um, physically abused by their boyfriends. And we, uh, we, we did a couple of stories about that. Um, you know, I can't say that was fun because those, <laughs> those articles gave me nightmares for... For months um but you know with spider girl like you know I, I don't think we ever had a bad moment um we were often told that uh you know the sales department in the direct market sales only go down so the the sales department always look at spider girl and say okay based on, on, on regular projections. We're going to cancel this book as of such and such a time. So we get, get around to the time, and, um, and then they'd say, well, you know, Spider-Girl's not selling well on the trends. It's, it's one of the only books that are go, actually going up in sales. So, uh, so we're not going to cancel it. We need six more issues. And... Uh, and they kept asking us for six more issues for <laughs> how long? <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. I think we, I think after it was all over, we did like 130 issues. Uh, you know, they had, they changed titles a couple of times. I don't know. It, it was ridiculous, but, but we were always having a good time. And, and, uh, you know, the, Oh, here's the bad part. Every time I thought spider girl was going to be canceled, you know, whenever a book, I had, whenever I was getting off the book or it was being canceled, what I would do is gather all my notes and everything and throw them in the garbage, uh -huh. figuring I'm not going to do this anymore. I've got to clear my desk. I've got to clear my mind. Um, and I did that with Spider-Girl three times before I realized, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That had to hurt a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you know, you know, Ron would say, "So what? What do you have in your book?" I said, "I threw out my book," <laughs> and, he, and he'd say, "What are you, an idiot?" And I'd have to say, "Well, we already know the answer to that question. Can we move on?" <laughs> <laughs> what ideas do you got, Ron? <laughs> <laughs> so now I know you and Ron go pretty far back. Um, when we we actually interviewed Ron, I think it was like a month ago or so. 
And um, he talked very highly of you. Like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, you could see tell that there's like some kind of camaraderie going on between you two. Um, no, that, that's, a, that's a lie. It's just if he says nice things, I have to pay him five bucks. Mm. <laughs> well, you owe him a lot then. <laughs> but, Here's the truth about me and Ron's relationship. Every good idea that, that you've ever seen in our books, Ron probably came up with it. I came up with all the ideas you didn't like. Ron, uh, Ron's re the real genius behind it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, um, I, but, I, but I'm much better looking. No. <laughs> That's all that counts right there. <laughs> so, you know, whenever you first started, like, you, you know, working for Marvel, you started out as a writer and everything, and then you stepped up to uh, editor-in-chief. Um, how did that come about? <laughs> By a series of, of bad decisions. Oh, really? <laughs> All right. Some, some on my part, some on other people's part. Um, blame it on Ron. <laughs> um, I was a, I was a freelance writer. I was doing, I was working for Archie. I was working for DC. I started to work for Marvel. At a certain point, Marvel offered me an exclusive contract. Um. So I, I gave up the the uh, the, the uh, Archie and DC stuff, and then at a certain point, Jim Shooter was reorganizing the editorial department, and he said to me, um, "You know, would you like to come on on staff as an editor?" And I said to him, "Jim, I you know I haven't had a full time job in I don't know how many years. Um, I'm not sure I you know I'm I'm not sure I have the discipline anymore to you know to show up at an office." And he said, well, could you do it for like six months? And I thought, you know, yeah, you could do anything for six months. So I said, sure, I'll do it for six months. <laughs> he trapped you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I started so I started working as an editor. And uh, and then eventually, um, I, uh, I, I guess I did okay as an editor. And... Uh, Next thing I know, Judah comes in and says, I, you know, I, I'm reorganizing again. I, I, I need a second in command. And I said, uh, oh, you want me to recommend somebody? He said, no, no, you're stuck. Uh, <laughs> and, I said, and I said, well, can I still, at the time I was editing the Spider-Man books, I said, can I still edit Spider-Man? He said, oh, sure. You're, you're, but you're going to be the second in command. I said, okay. And then I found out that, no, I could, couldn't edit the Spider-Man the Spider-Man books, I now had to work on the Star Comics, um, which, you know, I got to work with a guy by the name of Sid Jacobson, uh, who used to edit for Harvey, a brilliant, brilliant editor, taught me so much, um, just a great guy. Uh, don't let him know I said anything nice about him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, so then I was second in command, and uh, years passed and, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get into it, but Shooter and man upper management were, you know, started uh, banging heads. Mm -hmm. And I kept assuming, eh, you know, at some point they're going to have to fire Shooter. And when they fire Shooter, they'll fire me too. Um, because, uh, you know, you, you bring in a, 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 a clean sweep of things. Yeah. You're Bring in new guys. So I was, uh, you know, actually planning. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to convince Shooter that we should, 
you know, moved to California and uh, work in the animation industry. Mm. Um, he was convinced they were never going to fire him. I was convinced they were, so I, you know, kind of put my house up for sale and uh, <laughs> was negotiating with an animation studio. Uh, when, uh, you know, they they fired Shooter and they told me that they were putting me in charge. And I but remember like, telling, <laughs> what? But I, like, but I sold my house. I'm on way to. <laughs> yeah, hey, my house is December. <laughs> And I, and I said, well, yeah, I said, you know, I, I don't know if this is the wisest move because I said, guys, you know, I'm, I'm a freelancer masquerading as a staff person and that if you put me in charge. All I'm going to do is try to make things, you know, good for the freelancers. And president of com company said, well, that's what you should be doing. Oh. I said, oh, OK. So I, I, I took the job and then I. Um, uh I appointed Mark Roomwald as my second in command. And I said to Mark, I, I, I gave Mark the date I was going to quit. And I told Mark I, that, that I was going to quit in, uh, I forget, it was three years or something like that. And uh, he said, why are you telling me now you're going to quit in three years? I said, because that's my plan. Um, but what ultimately happened is the company got sold to uh, the Ron Perlman people. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh. Hey, they, they, they have the Ron Perlman people coming in. I'm going to put off getting quit, quit because they're going to come in. They're going to want to put in all their new, their own people. So I said to Mark, we're going to set you up as their guy. <laughs> so they'll come in, they'll get rid of me, and they'll, they'll appoint you. But if I quit before that, <laughs> then you'll be the guy that they get rid of to bring in their guy. Um, and, you know, things didn't quite work out that way. No. All right, so kind of going back to, to some of your, your creations and things like that, um, first of all, I'm a hardcover collector. Our other guy, Mike, is a big hardcover collector as well. So do you know, um, actually another guest of or another listener of ours, Hemi, they want to know as well, um, is, is there going to be a Spider-Girl omnibus coming out? And if not, are they ever going to finish the trade paperbacks of the Spider-Girl run? Well, I don't know the answer to either question. Oh, okay. I, I did get, I did get in touch with Tom Brevoort. I reminded him that in you know, 2018 is the um, um, the 20th anniversary of the first appearance of Spider Girl, and that uh, you know they should see whether or not there's interest in an omnibus. I never heard back. I think if your friend wa wants to see one, he should write to write to Marvel. And I mean by, you know, an old-fashioned letter, address it to Tom Brevoort. Um, old-fashioned letters with stamps on them mean so much more to everybody than an email or a post on, on you know, social network or anything else like that. It, it means you cared enough, you know, to actually write something and, and send it. Um, so anybody who wants anything from Marvel, that's the way to get it. Write letters. All right. Yeah, that's actually really good advice. I like that. Um, and then also, uh, Hemi wanted to know, out of all the stories and things that you've done, what if there's anything that you would like to see on the big screen, what comic or storyline or what have you is it that you would like to see on the big screen come to life? Um, I... 
you know, I really have no answer for that. Okay. Because I, I, you know, I uh, have never really thought about, you know, thought about that, you know, thought about big screen, you know. To me, if I'm, if I'm working on a comic book, that one comic book has to be the 100% focus of my attention. You know, if, you know, if I'm, if I want to think about the big screen, then I work on something for the big screen. <laughs> yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I happen to be a lucky guy. I, you know, I, I live in, you know, in in many alternate universes where I get to do all sorts of wonderful things. Now, I know you said that you don't keep up, you know, a lot on, you know, sort of the the more current stuff that's going on in, in the comics and things. But do you keep up at all on like your characters, like Spider Girl and the characters that you've created in the in the current world and how they're kind of being used and played out, or is that just sort of off your radar as well? I you know, I try not to pay attention to that. Um, uh, you know, anytime Spider Girl shows up. You know, twenty to thirty people let me know about it. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he here's a weird thing. Um, whenever I was writing a comic book, when I would stop writing it, I I would also stop reading it for a couple of years, because it took me that long to get the voices out of my head. Mm-hmm. Because every character speaks in a special way and functions in a special way, um, and you know, the next guy writing it just didn't handle them the same way I did. And uh, I'm sure I didn't handle it the, the same way the guy before me did. Um, and I thought, you know, the, the new guy doesn't need me criticizing him. So, so just don't look at it. And, and after a couple of years, the voices are out of my head and then I can sit down and read them. So, Tom, um, you know, right now with comic books, uh are you currently finishing anything up? Are you currently doing anything? Do you have maybe one last thing that you want to do or anything? Well, uh, I'm, I'm just finishing up a, a, a Justice League. There's, you know, a, a two-part fill-in, which may or may not ever see the light of day. I know that uh, one Justice League fill-in that I had done a while ago recently did see the light of day. Um, and... Um, you know, after that, right now I have no plans to do any more comic books. Uh, and I don't, you know, th- this could be the last one. But I've, oh, I've, wow. had that, I've had that feeling for a number of years now. Every time I do one, you know, I give it my all because it could be the last one. You, you never know. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I was a lucky guy. I, I, I got to do comics for... Uh, yeah, forty some odd years. <laughs> Long time. Yeah, I, yeah, forty five years. I, I I was doing comic books. So uh, right now, I think uh, I think I've done enough. Um, and you know, and that'll last up until uh, Ron Friend gives me a call and says, "Hey, <laughs> I talk <laughs> start a salad. Somebody wants us to do a ba ba ba." And I go, "Ah, all right, one one last." One last one for the team. <laughs> oh man, that would be some. I was actually talking about that with uh, some friends the other day because I see some of Ron's uh, newer commission stuff, and I'm like, man, why is this guy not currently on a comic book? Like, ugh. You know, Ron. You know, for my money, he he is is the best 
comic book storyteller in the business today, even though he's you know not not doing that that much uh, mainstream comics anymore. I think that uh, you know comic books have changed a lot. I don't. I, this may sound critical, and I don't mean it as such, but a lot of the comic books. Whenever I read, you know, every once in a while I pick up a, a current comic book and I read it, and it reads more to me like a radio script than a comic book, because it's all dependent on dialogue, without action, and um, and, and some of the stories move so slowly, it breaks my heart. Um, you know, um, I'm I'm gonna inflict a boring story on you. <laughs> A million years, yeah, a million years ago, I was, you know, working on a, on a, a mystery. And the uh, editor said to me, kid, you got five pages to show me a dead body. If I don't see a dead body by page five, I'm not going to page six and neither are you. <laughs> and uh, that has stuck with me <laughs> for 50 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, uh, and whenever I do a mystery... There's a dead body by page five, or the equivalent of. <laughs> you know, yeah, these days, <laughs> yeah, the, the, these days, uh, you know, comic books. Sometimes you're in your third issue and they haven't shown you, you know, your dead body yet. <laughs> Some of the things that bug me most about New Days, you know, we we talk about it on our roundtable stuff, is um, these massive, massive events that they have constructed nowadays with all the tie-ins and everything else. It ends up being like 40-something issues, and you don't get something happening until like issue 30-something of it all. And you're just like, okay, I feel like all this was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I find that with so many things. I mean, you know, I uh, a television series. You, you get 13 episodes, uh, let's say. And, and and yet, when the guys in the conference room are, you know, are uh, plotting things, it's like they have enough material for si for seven episodes, and then they're stretching it out to, to hit the thirteen. Where, you know, in in my day, and I still get <laughs> yelled at for this, is hey, if you got thirteen episodes come up with material for 25 episodes and stuff it in there. <laughs> you, know, you know, have things moving, have things jumping. Yeah. I, you know, you know, I, I remember, you know, years ago being told, you know, every page of script is one minute. No scene should go over one page of script. And, and nowadays people have, you know, five or six pages, you know, in a scene, mm -hmm. which, you know, I just think, oh, man, <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I wish I had the courage to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Or, or the sloppiness. I don't know what it is. <laughs> A little <bit> of both. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Tom, we want to thank you again for coming on the show. Um, it's been a great time talking to you and you know getting to learn more about you and what you've done and everything and like i said uh if you those out there who have not heard of tom tom defalco need to start looking into um uh the credits on the comics more often because more or less something in your collection probably has tom defalco's name on it oh, so yeah. 
know, but don't blame yeah. me for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Thanks well, a lot, thanks. guys. Yeah, no, thanks thank you very uh, much. Greatly appreciate you coming on. And uh, you're always welcome to come back on if you want to tell any more stories or anything else. Maybe sometime in the future we can get uh, you and Ron both on here and we can uh, hear some good times. Well, that, that would be good because <laughs> when it comes to the actual work, the actual stories, Ron actually remembers everything. He, he has a memory. I don't. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Now. Oh, yeah. I, okay. Awesome. Well, All thanks right. again, Tom. Thank you. All right. All right thank, thank you. you.